it mean simon will school well we've known each other all all our lives basically um south london yep yep we went to primary school together in uh in born south in london same hospital born in the same hospital yeah so it's been too Which long hospital? You could say. king's college there you go so yeah i'm sure you know it well no i don't know that hospital campbell no no is that next to peckham uh yeah pretty much is that the posh a bit i feel like you know no, you've got an estate agent background. You're trying to. No, I just remember <laughs> pirate radio stations in Camberwell. I remember Horizon was based in Camberwell for a okay. bit. Okay, there cool. are bits mm. of Camberwell that are very nice, and then bits that aren't. A bit like all of South London. There's like really nice roads and really scuzzy roads right next to each other. Is, are you the same age? <laughs> I'm six months younger. So yeah. would you have been in the same school year then? Uh, uh, no, no, you no, because you were in the university year below me. Yeah. That's why I appear slightly more learned. When did you um, <laughs> when did you connect at, at school? When did you realize uh, we, no, we knew each other from birth because our parents knew each other. Right. But then Simon moved to Belgium when he was seven. Seven. Yeah. So yeah, we didn't go to school together, um, but we randomly ended up at the same university. So that's when we kind of reconnected and started making music together. And why we don't have very good degrees either. Yeah, indeed. We spent all our time basically learning how to how to work logic and make tunes. So, um, what were you listening to? What was the catalyst? Uh, we were listening to a lot of like jazz and over. At the time, jazz and over was the absolute jam. Yeah. yeah well, compost like- in general, to be honest, that was our kind of production 
sort of heroes from that point of view. Yeah, K and D. I think it's good. Yeah, because they still well, sound good. Those records, like all the remixes and stuff. Which one? Name one jazz and over song that we can play <coughs> right now. Uh, well, the Ian Pooley "What's Your Number" remix was always, but then also the Haru Percussion Group remix. Those yeah, two. Yeah, the Earth of the Rocker remix was pretty sweet as well, wasn't it? Yeah, pretty much any of the remixes, I would say. At university, listening to compost releases. Yeah. yeah. So I was expecting you to say something different. Oh, sorry. But that was pre-burial. Can we go back? <laughs> that was pre-burial and all that. Yeah. Well, stuff. I mean, for me, all that stuff mm. kind of led into the broken beat thing, which kind of fed into the garage thing, which fed into the dubstep thing. So it's sort of, you know, without wishing to use the word continuum, it is sort of a continuum. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just how much, how much jazz you inject into that is kind of the difference I think I think it's really good at the moment with the whole jazz and over thing coming back somehow I think a lot of people don't really give the Sonar Collective the credit they deserve really because there was a period in Berlin when they really were sort of running it and they were very internationally minded as producers Germany at the time and still to a degree was very introverted musically and they were always really travelling and, and doing a lot of collaborations and really you could feel it was a bit more open and when they set up their label which again was a kind of collective quite cooperative type of a thing where they all I, mean, I was amazed they used to they used to all DJ and then put all the money back into the pot. Yeah, so, I heard that. Yeah. I'm surprised they still talk to each other on that basis, to be honest. <laughs> it's incredible. That sounds like a way to have arguments. It was, and I, and I think that, you know, they had that, and then they had the studio set up with, uh, is it Axel, um, the, 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 the engineer, who's now got a brilliant set up in Berlin, which yeah. everyone's using, apparently, all the American, Rihanna, all those guys, when they, when they come okay. in, because he's got this analogue mad, is it Axel? Axel. Yeah, that sounds yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Is it Rainemar? I don't know. I we never really met any of them. Right. Um, I mean, I definitely we saw them play. Hmm. Um, what live? No, no DJ. DJ so um, yeah. Where was it? Um, was it three three three? I think. 
Um, I definitely saw people like um, Reiner Truby playing um, uh, on Shaftesbury Avenue with you on oh, Monday night. Oh yeah, Bar um, Rumba. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so a lot of those guys, Peter Cruder as well. Yeah, there was a, it was a golden age, and 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 actually they going back to the jazz and other thing. They they introduced Arm and and Dixon and all those guys. They kind of came through them, and then they went off and did their own Innovisions thing and have literally taken over the world, haven't they? I mm. think Dixon's doing mm. so so well. But the good news actually is that. I know that Alex is back in the Jazz and Overfold and they're making a new record and okay. they're going back to a more digital sound, I think. or Because um, I think they went a bit retro, didn't they, on the last record? Kind yeah. Of, it went a bit bandy, didn't it? Yeah. Did you go to any clubs at that time, um, Broken Beat? To be honest, not really. Um, my wife used to go to co-op every single week. Um, but no, I mean, to be honest, we've always been more about just sitting and making music and we should probably go out more because it is quite inspiring. But we, To be fair though, we did used to go to, to clubs at uni. We, we used yeah. to go out to drum and bass quite a bit as well, actually, Yeah, down, um, down yeah, at the end. Where does drum and bass fit in all this story? Uh, well, that was kind of younger. I think that was sort of a younger period, just before university for me. In like the mid to late 90s, it was a kind of combination of Ninja Tune drum and bass jungle so all of that but again from a production point of view was always kind of looking at stuff through that prism so trying to work out what it was that made Andy C sound like Andy C and all of that kind of Ram Records lot and yeah drum and bass there's definitely a time when it seemed like there was kind of some new synth sound that all the drum and bass producers could suddenly make and uh, and we'd just be wondering you know how do you do that and it was it looking was back on it it's probably just the same sample it's, yeah whereas probably we was. Sort of desperately trying to recreate it from soft synths which at the time weren't necessarily that great but yeah I mean they, they properly geeked out on the production I think the, the drum and bass producers definitely in the early 2000s so who was the producer that you would look out for more than anyone um Fotec at the time Fotec we liked yeah but it was also some of the slightly harder stuff like Ed Rush and Optical they were heavy um, Bad yeah. Company Bad Company was like the real I reckon probably the pinnacle the the UK Bad Company I would hesitate to say now because yeah, obviously not, not the rock band yeah well, who I didn't even know about until we'd been listening to Bad Company for quite a long time should we play a Bad Company track yeah hmm which one though I mean not the nine because obviously nine, that's no, too obvious yeah What's that Something Diesel Boy remix? In, I would have said something off Inside the Machine. Yeah, okay. Almost anything. Not Mass Hysteria. That was, what, that was a bit later, though, to be fair. Play the nine, because, I mean, I think that's <clears> just like, you know, let's just, let's not... Let, Only what? if you keep this bit in the interview where you persuade us to play the nine, uh, okay. even though we're much more crate-diggy than that. All right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> These All right. guys want the popular choice. Okay, I think, yeah? Yeah, play yeah, the nine. Why not? Okay. Why not? Um, we, we agree to the nine under duress.
mentioned um, the end, and I, I I have great fond memories of going to the end, uh, particularly yeah. for the full cycle nights. I, d- I never used to enjoy going to the end for the house or techno nights. Mm. I used to find it a little bit sort of banal, and I used to end up playing in that little back room, and it was never very good sound. I was always really annoyed because the sound was never very good in that mm. side room. I quite like the side room. Now, Did actually. you? The sound? Yeah. I was always fighting with the sound guys, but I do remember that little point just behind where the decks were where the bass bin was there was this little one place that you had to stand and you literally got this the whole your body was would lift off the off the floor <laughs> if, <laughs> when crust was on yeah yeah okay. yeah. yeah do you, do you remember that little yeah. place you were yeah. about in the main room in the main Round room the back, yeah, in yeah. That sort behind, of little, yeah it was the, sort of a bit like this sort of shape wasn't it in the little alcove yeah sort of, yeah little yeah yes. yeah definitely was that he's, the night you go was it for um, the full cycles or Sometimes a full cycle, um, more often for Ram nights, going to see um, see Andy C DJing because he was just while like, we're on a reminiscing sort of, of nature. Tip, that was the first night that I ever got guest list for was for a I think it was a cooking or a logical progression night. Oh yeah, and I think I think again Raina Truby was playing the little side room while Bookham was doing his drum basing, and I remember being so excited that I got guest list. Um, and then we got there and the guest list queue was longer than the other queue. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. I always automatically go sort of logical progression, sort of full cycle. And, and Ram yeah, would have yeah. been would have been that much... For the boys in caps. Heavier, yeah. yeah that yeah, was just yeah. that, another 20% heavier, right? A yeah, lot of yeah, dancing exactly. while holding the peak of your cap. <laughs> If you've never right. done that, then you've, you've never been to a <laughs> round night. Andy C, how does he manage? He's managed to maintain, hasn't he? I think so, He's, yeah. He still seems to be pretty popular, yeah. 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 I, I haven't really followed him for, for a while, to be honest, but yeah. So anyway, in all of this, where were you at with your music making? What was the first release? What was the first piece of music you put out and how did that feel? First, first thing we put out was a 12-inch when we were in uni, wasn't it? Um, it just had. Well, there was the cooking thing that I did before that. True, yeah. But you did a track for Bookham. Yeah, a couple of tunes on the down tempo on the ones. Down tempo thing, yeah. So yeah, that on was one of those cool. box sets. Yeah, under what Soul name? Soul Addiction. That's you. Yeah, that's a world exclusive. I've never told anyone that. Although you probably could have worked it out if you look at Discogs often enough, but. Then no one's going to take you seriously. Excellent. So you are Soul Addiction. Uh, no, Soul that Addiction was, was the album yeah. name. It was Labeler. Was the name of the was the group name. LV. Yeah. So that's where it all comes from. Yeah, you're there editing this is. bit out, out, Dave. Labeler. Labeler. Which you can pronounce, but very few other people can. <laughs> you so, must have that box set around here somewhere. Oh, it's somewhere. No, it's probably in the lockup hidden oh, away thanks. in the box in thanks there. in the bit that I never play yeah no no I was in actually in the dank basement I was there the other day and um, and it was good actually to go back in there and to pull out some bits I've got tons of drum and bass right. tons mm. of uh, of that yeah th- those I mean he, he knocked them out at that stage was this pr- before or after the uh, the documentary with oh, Tony the thing wow um, well, was, I think that was, was quite early on actually yeah. wasn't that quite early on I remember yeah. seeing that did you actually see that before making a record for, for them and yeah, yeah oh, I really time. want to work for this guy. quite a long time before that actually <laughs> and then I don't think I really connected it in my head but I do remember it was a bit of a convoluted weird thing where somebody we had to go to a friend's house to burn a CD because you can just burn a CD like you can now yeah. or why would you bother now yeah. um, 
and it somehow found its way to the warehouse that they used and then he heard it and I basically got a call one day while at uni from this unknown number on my brand new really weird chunky mobile phone he was like oh is that Will and I was like yeah he's like oh it's uh, Danny Bookham and I was like no it's not it's definitely not Danny Bookham and it was so yeah we did that which was good I mean it was it was kind of scary because we had to take everything from a level where we'd been just putting it on mini disc and listening to it ourselves to you know releasable standard and actually the guy that I worked with at the time is now like a pretty big time trance and deep house producer on a label called Anjuna Beats so yeah shout out to Ollie Smith because those were tracks that you'd written in school basically right in sixth form yeah which is a school obviously but you know it wasn't like I was in primary school knocking this stuff out (laughs) (laughs) that's all much more kind of emo David Bowie acoustic guitar stuff which one day will see the light of day but only after I'm long dead I'm saying now I don't want people doing that don't put that out so what about your first release as a collab as the two of you that was was that you and I it was not long after that wasn't it it was you and I yeah we self released something which I'm sure we probably would have thrust into your hand at at Bar Rumba right Um, in fact yeah again Raina Truby to bring him up again yeah we played it a few times excited weren't we that we heard Raina Truby some feedback from Raina Truby we're like really he actually listened to it and he was playing it so yeah did I play it um, I don't know. It was, it's sort of like a. It had so many samples in it. It was ridiculous. But it was kind of like a Latiny. I mean, don't worry. I've still got about four hundred copies of it on twelve <laughs> yeah, inch yeah. that I can. I yeah, can we can hook you, you up. With, we can hook you up with that. I want to hear it. Dave, you on one as well? Couple, couple for your mates. <laughs> All right. No. All right. <laughs> that you wanted to DJ at that point I was already DJing oh were you yeah it was a friend of mine I think when I was about must have been 16, 17 persuaded me to buy a mixer that was Radio Shack branded but it had I think it was about six channels with a crossfader and but it had like a really rudimentary sampler on it so you could sample like six seconds or something but you had to hit the button at the right time and then hit the button at the right time to stop it a bit like looping on like a cdj these days but like really bad sound quality like you know sounded like a really awful mp3 or something and then i don't think it had effects i've still got it somewhere um but yeah then i got one deck and then got another deck so i had for a time i had a 1210 plus a limit belt drive so i sort of felt like half a dj but yeah i drove my mum insane in our back room playing endless uh, DJ Vadim records 
back to back. Two pill peddlers push pills for the working class drills. Residents rush, try to bust seven seals. President Bush sit and make oil deals. And what I feel is the strangest thing. Sat back, meditated, and began to sing. Now, what I feel is a strange emotion. World going crazy, but I'm still West Coast. Don't stop, we got to rock. Even if the whole world wants to go pop. Be boys, be girls, hold down the block. Got the beat on lock for the future shot. Don't stop, we got to rock. Even if the whole world wants to go pop. Be boys, be girls, hold down the block. Got the beat on lock for the future shot. Don't stop, we got to rock. Don't stop, we got to rock. Don't stop. Yeah. Um, so he was my absolute production hero because we started when I. Um, yeah, he goes back. Jazz Fudge. Yeah, God, I've probably got all of those with the um, R and B is killing hip hop slogan on the back. He was really ahead in a way. Living in Twickenham, who had a yeah, who's still doing stuff. He was on uh, NTS last week. Yeah, no doubt he's knocking about still, definitely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that whole Jazz Fudge, K Bro kind of UK hip hop. Mark being Blade, that stuff was all like a real inspiration for me getting an MPC back in. In fact, my first uh, student loan check I spent on an MPC 2000 XL, which I've been inspired to get by my friend who's now in a sort of weird psychedelic rock band. So all the people that I meet then go on and make really odd sorts of other music. Trance, psychedelic. Trance and psychedelics. Are they all really successful? They're more successful than we are, so, you know, right. I feel like, you know, I've got a good... I've got the Midas touch for everyone else that goes on and makes weird music. Okay, so you're making all these tunes, you're DJing. Are you <coughs> DJing, Simon? Um, I wasn't DJing until I got to uni, really. Right. It was only through playing around on Will's decks I started to get into DJing. Right. I was, um, I was playing in a band when I was in school, so I was more into kind of guitar music. Um, and then, yeah, started to get into the DJing at uni, so I was a bit behind. What's the most you got paid in the early days? Did you, would you, you know, where was the, what was the sort of? I used to DJ every week at a place called the Clinic on Gerrard Street, right, uh, in Chinatown. Members, cl- members club. Oh no, no, I remember yeah. that tiny little room so. upstairs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah um, well, there was, was a, fun, so there was a bar room, and then there was a room <coughs> up above. Yeah, that was great. Room up above, they were playing like hard house and techno, and I was playing all the composty stuff and there were some really good nights in there nights when there was no one upstairs and everyone was in the bar and it was great and then there were nights when I was playing to myself for hours on end I can't remember I think I used to get like 50 quid a week or something which I look back on as a glory day of my career frankly from a financial point of view you know that kind of week in week out cash so basically once you sort of got into town got a ticket on your car and you know bought a meal in Chinatown you had and a few beers you were basically paying to DJ yeah and a couple of 12s down at Atlas Records because they were up all night open all night yeah do you remember Atlas Records? That they were the one down the side road, Gerard a little bit Street. further south. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, it was the Gerald Street. That was so good. That was. Um, I mean, we used to go into Atlas Records after Bar Rumba on a Monday. Yeah. So you do Bar Rumba on a Monday, and it would close at three thirty-four. We'd be in the bar till seven, and then we'd go across go the road. The early morning record shopping. To Atlas, they'd open up for Thinking, us. Why nice. didn't we have this last week? That was. God, no wonder we had, we had to give that up. That was unhealthy. <laughs> it was unhealthy living. Yeah. Okay, so um, DJing, putting tunes out. 
What happened next? Uh, what happened next? Well, we both sort of got sucked into trying to get actual jobs after university, which kind of slowed things down briefly. Sai si started his own business, which ruined his life for about two or three years. Five. Five years. Mm-hmm. Oh, Jesus. Um, so we were still trying to kind of do stuff, and we were living together at the time, so we were just kind of doing stuff on the sly. Yeah, we were um, making Friday making nights music was all about actually coming back drunk from our separate office parties and DJing drum and bass back to back until four in the morning. <laughs> so we kept that alive and kicking. Uh, and then I was working for an ad agency and I just sort of decided I couldn't be bothered because I didn't care about advertising. So I just gave it up without any real plan. Yeah. And started just sort of randomly making kind of weird hip hop and did that for a bit uh, while sort of pretty quickly running out of money. And then somebody gave um, Steve Goodman Code 9 a CD with Globetrotting on it, which was eventually became our first 12 with them on Hyperdub. And that, so that must have been, what, 2006, 2007? <laughs> Oh, you should know we don't function Freaking sound international Cause we have free credentials Mr. Brown knows what's going down Roots music playing uptown Mr. Smith loves all the hits Smith's Roots music that was a huge break at the time right was, yeah that was a lucky was a lucky coincidence what was was hyper was it early days of hyperdub very yeah, much yeah, so we, yeah i think one, it was us, releases, us code nine burial and maybe the bug as well i think um and that was a total accident, to be honest. We weren't even really listening to dubstep or really that involved. I mean, obviously, in 2007, it was still kind of evolving. Um, yeah. But yeah, it just happened to be at 140 BPM because the acapella we'd been, that we'd basically borrowed off someone happened to be at 140. And because we hadn't finished it, it sounded like the dubstep of the day because it was just sub and a snare. Very stripped down. So, yeah, yeah like ridiculously stripped down with a burning spear sort of guitar chord every so often and so yeah we sort of blindly stumbled into that kind of dubstep kind of thing completely accidentally yes yeah, so we, had, we had quite a long break from releasing didn't we yeah up to that point yeah trying to trying to live in the real world but yeah, didn't don't really do it kids us. don't it do it <laughs> keep this bit in this is life advice um yeah so then yeah we just kind of developed a bit of a relationship with Hyperdub just sort of feeding stuff into them um, and then it took a while actually because our album with them didn't come out until we'd done an album with Key Sound which is run by Martin Clark um, Blackdown who I, can't remember, I don't know how he heard it but he heard something we'd done with Josh Ederhen who we did our first and third album with um, and really liked it and we went for a meeting with him in town one lunchtime and he said oh I want to put it out I want to put a remix on the B side or whatever and we were like well we don't really want to do that we want to do we want to kind of do more tracks and make it into more of a thing 
So we did an EP for him with Josh, and then he just basically said I want to do an album of it. time and so then the South African connection happened and Steve uh, Code 9 had a bit of a sort he just sort of collected stuff for a while and then when he had enough he was like you know I reckon this will make an album so that was kind of the first album was very deliberate Sabenza was a bit of of a collection of bits that Steve liked that we'd kind of fed into him over the course of a year or so what was the South African connection what brought you that way well, that was Jerv, who um, is one of our oldest and best friends who we worked together with since university. We were in the same classes together. Um, and he is South African and he would go back to see family and stuff. And because he's sort of a real crate digger and a real kind of, you know, he's just an interested musical person, he kind of made these connections. And then, yeah, we started getting, he would come back with vocal recordings or we'd send him out there with sort of instrumentals and he would kind of set up in people's kitchens with like a simple mic set up and bring yeah. back. Yeah, I remember the, the first thing he brought back was, <clears throat> it was the vocal used for Boom Slang, which actually is a single that came up before the album and um, came back with his vocal and it, it sounded great, but... Uh, the recording was was really shoddy and there were only like very small bits that we could use of it so it kind of led to us just using that that little bit of the vocal and looping it up and making that track what it was but we just we loved that guy's voice that was okay with him called cat first time we'd heard him where did you hear him from well that was again that was through through jerv meeting him in in south africa yeah the longer version is marcus from hyperdub put jerv in contact with spook matambo um who knew OK Malum Cool Cat so he said I think while Jerv was out there they kind of met up or whatever yeah um, and yeah I think Cool Cat was just sort of doing his thing really He, I think he was working in the Nike store and was you know just kind of putting himself together a little bit I mean now he's like a pretty big star in South Africa sure if you look at his yeah his Instagram feed and all sorts of stuff he's like doing really really well but at the time he was just sort of knocking about prepared to record in people's kitchens over whatever they had with them on their phone or whatever. So Did you go to South Africa? No, Not well I have been, but way. unrelated to that. Um, so no, unfortunately we've never managed to make it over to do any shows. 
That was the Hyperdub years, more or less, right? Pretty much, yeah. Um, now, I obviously was playing the stuff and uh, I was always really impressed by the um, sonics and the quality of the sound that you were coming up with, which was above, above, way above average. And uh, when you played me that remix you did with Tigran Hamasian... You were here. We were um, here. We were meeting. It was something. well because I think it was. We were already talking about doing something. Were we? I believe it was in the very, very early days because I've got an email because I didn't even realise this, but there's like the first emails we had talking about doing something with Tigran date back like two or three years because the session we did for you live was in 2013, I think, early 2013. Well, the fact is, you did a remix for him. He obviously approached you, or his record label approached you. Yeah. yeah. You did this amazing remix, and then I heard it, and then I suggested that you did a session. No, did no, the Maid Avail was, the, made was, was the first thing we ever did. The remix was after that. Was yeah, it? Yeah, but that's, that's how we met Tigran, was at, so what at made, the Maid Avail session. Oh, so we just had this incredible idea to put you together. <laughs> it was... It or was, was it, or was it not Dave Dave's O'Donnell? Incredible idea, I think it was yeah. Dave, wasn't it? Good, Dave, good credit stealing, though. I Dave like was a big Tigran fan. I, I heard him. Yeah, yeah so, the, sorry, Dave. The sorry. story basically was that I got up one morning and got an email come through from our live agent at the time, um, forwarding on something, I think, from Dave saying, We want to do something with Tigran as a session, but we want to pair him up with someone. So you wanted to put him together with some people. So. There, are, I think Dave emailed our live agent with a, like a list of potentials. And I can't remember who else was on it apart from Corliss. And obviously, I managed to get out of bed you before Lewis, be up, yeah. yeah, who I'm sure doesn't get up that early. Um, and so, yeah, just emailed back going, "Yep, we'll do it, we'll do it." And yeah, so the early bird catches the Tigran as I believe, will now become a phrase. Excellent. And so that, I, I always remember that gig you did at set as well. That was the first live show with him, right? Um, that, that was actually night. the second. second we yeah. did one in Foligno in Italy the week before right. in a church. Like a 14th with like century a, church or something. It had a reverb that went back to the 14th century. It was yeah. so long. <laughs> so that was an interesting show. Which we thought went a bit disastrously, but actually I've seen footage of it since and it's actually still pretty entertaining, um, albeit quite washed out and weird sounding. Well, we had a pretty disastrous trip there, didn't we? Will's Will's luggage was lost on the way with part of the equipment we were going to use for the Don't show. fly Alitalia, kids. <laughs> That's more life advice. So we ended up getting to the gig about five minutes before we were supposed to be playing and... Um, with no equipment. With Yeah, with half our equipment. They managed to cobble something together and... We, we got, what, two minutes of sound check or something, basically a line check, and, um, yeah, playing in this crazy venue where the sound just reverberated around 
um so that was a pretty stressful stressful first gig really so by comparison worldwide festival is a breeze that was again something that you must have spoken to Tigran about working on this project right now which is which is about to come out yeah pretty much i mean it, it all it all stemmed from that first session it just it just clicked really um so we were keen to keep on working with him and just keep that relationship going so yeah i think um yeah i definitely i mean he is obviously a phenomenal talent and somebody that you would just obviously want to work with if you if you had the opportunity so i mean that you know from that first replying to that email about the live show we kind of checked out a couple of things on youtube and the answer was just yeah obviously obviously we want to work with this guy Mm. and then kind of since then it was it trying to kind of track him down and get a bit of time in his incredibly busy schedule was was kind of the main challenge to be honest um where is armenia exactly uh it is sorry east of east of turkey yeah so albania armenia no no no, borders with syria turkey yeah right yeah yeah, because we were looking at going, and because they have an extremely poor relationship with Turkey due to the Armenian genocide that Turkey refuses to acknowledge as a genocide, you can't go. You because the obvious thing would be fly to Turkey on a cheap easyJet flight and then get the train, but you just can't do it. So you got to fly somewhere else, somewhere neutral, and then fly. And it just yeah, it was going to be quite difficult, I think. Yeah, um, we were we were keen to get out there initially and, and, and do some recording does he still Armenia. live there no well he's he lived in America for I think most of his life to be honest um, but he does he does spend quite a bit of time yeah there, he I goes think. back and he lives in Paris for a bit as well but we found we got hold of him in Brussels where he had a couple of days off basically so yeah we just recorded as much as we could with him I mean there's this video footage of you in this piano museum how does that fit into the album well, we we recorded a lot of a lot of tracks in the piano museum. We, we basically didn't really know what to expect, but it was Emily who who hooked us up with um, with Chris Main at this um, this museum. And what is this museum? Well, it's it's sort of it's a factory and a museum. Um, it's basically on an industrial estate. This guy's got a huge building full of incredible grand pianos. Where in Belgium? A place called Roysselard. Roysselard, yeah. Near Ghent. Near Ghent. About an hour out of Brussels, something like that. Yeah. But he's like he's the the go to guy in Brussels or in Belgium and probably the surrounding countries for pianos because he makes yeah. them but he also rents them. So, you know, any gig that you've ever been to around there where someone's playing a piano, that's probably, probably where they got piano. it from. Yeah, we realised um they've got that that thing that they've got here where there are pianos in train stations in uh, in Belgium as well and all of those pianos were from Chris May, yeah. weren't they? So we kept so on seeing his name around. He's a piano, a piano legend. So he, but what he also does is he makes versions of old pianos. So this building is full of these kind of recreations of old pianos, but then also the originals and ridiculous numbers of grand pianos from hundreds of years ago. Yeah, I mean, it was just insane the number of. And you recorded them in the museum. Yeah, we yeah, took like yeah. a couple of suitcases worth of mics and stands and and he was playing the piano Tigran yeah, yeah. Tigran so, and well a bit of Sai as well Sai got involved for a couple of bits and pieces um, here and there yeah 
but yeah so I mean they were just incredibly generous they you know they've got a collection which must be worth millions and millions of pounds and we got there not really knowing what to expect and the woman just said yeah help yourself you know just yeah, stay just, as long as you like do whatever you want we just spent all That's day all here's, day here's going the around. coffee machine yeah. help yourself like okay cool yeah we did not expect that we thought maybe we'd get an hour or two you know be able to pick an instrument to record but we ended up recording and like a couple of piano a piano forte a grand piano this thing called a clavicitarium which is like a harpsichord but the strings are vertical rather than horizontal um, pump organs pump organs yeah I mean all sorts whatever we could um, and they, what, they appear all, all, all over the album yeah pretty much well the, the kind of the thing is about the record is that Tigran I guess is sort of on just under half of it and this the experience of going to these places and kind of thinking about the kind of music that we've been making with him kind of informed us to do stuff separately to him um, so what ended up happening was the project kind of spilled out beyond just working with Tigran so what had maybe initially been just a sort of focus on tracking him down and recording some stuff that kind of got subsumed into a whole sort of way of thinking for us where we were kind of looking out for pianos and looking for different things to do with them and for anything that was sort of vaguely we kind of developed a fetish for sort of mechanical noises a lot of what we were doing in Belgium was sort of putting mics in pianos and getting the sound sort of of a piano rather than just of a piano being played so you know when we got back to the studio we did a lot of kind of recording tape machines so not the sound that they output but kind of the buttons got this really nice old uh, copycat with these kind of big chunky buttons and so that kind of we developed a bit of an obsession with that like when we were in yeah and also just recording any piano that we could find as well so there's pianos from from all over the all over the place on the on the album yeah we were in morocco doing a project um and there was a piano there that was sort of weirdly out of tune but in quite a cool way so one of the tracks is us kind of playing that playing in the most in the broadest sense um so yeah, yeah it's, we, it's, we particularly kind of got into quite shonky sounding you know out of tune broken up pianos i mean there was there's a piano that, that features quite heavily on the album that was uh just left in my flat the last flat that i moved into um and the guy who lived there before collected these kind of strange pianos and when he moved out uh, he couldn't get a piano mover for a couple of weeks so just left them in there and um, one of them was a, a ship's piano um, which I hadn't seen before with a kind of fold down keyboard and it had all these all the keys made really loud clunky noises all of the notes were just out of tune and had weird chorusy kind of effects on um, but sounded really cool to us so we we recorded um, we basically made a sampler instrument of that piano and then used that a lot on, on the album as well um, and recorded all of the mechanical noises that it made when the, the hammers got stuck to the strings and um, yeah we just we got very into that that type of sound well it's a great record it's a beautiful piece of music from beginning to end are there going to be some uh, are there going to be some shows have you got anything planned 
Uh, we are actually putting together our live show at the moment. I need to go and spend some money on some equipment. Yeah. But, um, well, because Tigran's so busy and he's always over the other side of the world, we definitely want to do some shows with him, but we're also kind of trying to work out a way that we can be more self-reliant than that. Yeah. Um, and so uh, we want, what we're doing at the moment is putting together a show which is sort of about this record, but also about some of the other things we've done as well. Um, previously, when we've been doing live shows, there's been a real focus on kind of dance floor club aesthetic, which um, we are still sort of doing, but more kind of through DJing. So for this, we want to do something that's a bit more kind of immersive and less about sort of predictable drops and making people scream and whoop and holler in a kind of dance floor way oh, but scream and whoop like and holler like in a, in a different in a different way oh. yeah well I can do that with records yeah so I'll still be doing that yeah well look I'm looking forward to the shows and uh, I'm really delighted with the records and uh, good to have you in boys thanks yeah. for having gentlemen. us gentlemen thanks, thanks for springing this on us